The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of Hope. Hi, everybody. Listening to those words just then, oh, I know our loved ones are all around us, close closer than we know, and I'm going to share a story about that with you in just a minute. I have a special guest standing by, but I didn't even have a chance to tell him that I want to tell a couple little stories before I bring him in. First of all, I just want to acknowledge this is my mom's angel date. It was one year ago today that she passed, and knowing what we know, that our loved ones who pass are just fine, I, it's not a sad day for me at all. I'm just remembering the, the wonderful memories of her being here, and oh, that helps so much when we can focus on the gratitude and the good memories instead of making days like these sad days. It's not at all sad today for me. And I hope that this show today gives a lot of you hope and and helps you to focus on those good memories as well. So Ty and I are in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. We've gone international. Uh, Last night, had the great pleasure of presenting my Magnificent You presentation at the Center for Spiritual Living in Calgary. Oh my gosh, if you were there, thank you so much. The, The welcome we received from the crowd was off the charts. The excitement was so high. I'm a little bit drained today after all of that energy, but it was just wonderful. And, uh, just, just beautiful to receive the comments from people about how, the evidence that was shared from the spirit world really changed people's understanding of how connected we really are with the greater reality. And it was funny because I shared the stories of my friend Brenda Baker's passing to the other side and how she's been so present since she passed. And as I was sharing that at the very beginning of the talk, Brenda just surprised me, grabbed me from the right side. And I remember pulling my head to the right and and saying, oh, and she just said such and such right now. And I know that because it was so early in the presentation, several people must have thought that I was making that up, that, oh, yeah, Brenda's standing right here beside me right now. And I went on with the presentation and thought about that later, like what, what that must have looked like to everybody for me to just get pulled over by Brenda like that. Well, if you read my Facebook post this morning, you know that Brenda dropped in on me during my meditation this morning. And we had a little chat. And it's just so wonderful when we get to converse because... It's her voice, and 
I said, how about a little evidence for those who will hear about your drop-in? Let me know something going on with our friend Lynette. And she showed me Lynette scrubbing pots and trying to scrub some some burnt-on stuff off of some pots. So when I came out of the meditation, I texted Lynette and told her that Brenda was aware of this going on in her life, something real-time, something current. Well, I had no idea how real-time it was because Lynette texted me back a photo of her brother-in-law, Jean, sitting at their storage locker that very moment while the two of them were scrubbing stuff off of pots that came out of the storage locker. Talk about evidence. There was no way I could have known that, and I didn't need to because Brenda's spying on <laughs> Lynette. So was, I put it on Facebook, and so many people have commented. We had over 70 comments just since this morning. So many people saying, I needed this today. We need these validations. We need to know there's a greater reality. And I guarantee you there is. My guest today is Scott Lockhart. And Scott, I'm sorry to keep you waiting as I told that story. But uh, why don't you come on in and say hi to everybody before I tell everybody what you're all about. Okay, Suzanne. Um, hello. Thank you so much for inviting me to your program today. I'm very happy to be here. I can't wait to get this started. All right. Well, you can tell by this accent, everybody, that Scott is not from New England. (laughs) I (laughs) met Scott in Texas, and uh, his story today is going to help you also to understand, all of you, that there's a greater reality. Um, Scott, you and I met at my level two mediumship class in Kerrville. You came with your your partner. Isn't that right? Holly. That's correct. I came with Holly uh, to Kerrville, Texas, and uh, had a wonderful day there with you guys. Um, Fascinating work and very much supports, uh, of course, um, my story and what happened to me and why I eventually wrote this book of poetry that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, this is this is not the first time I've had a poet on the show, and it's kind of unusual to have uh, to have people who write poetry come on until you realize that that this creativity comes from something way outside ourselves and I recognize that in you when we talked something really special and when we got to talking I discovered why it was you know what you know and we're going to talk about what it is you know but I guess we should just get right to it you had a what we call a near-death experience so why don't you tell us about that Okay, yes. Um, Well, uh, my background, of course, I'm a native Texan, uh, have a a long history, uh, family history in the state of Texas. So I I didn't really necessarily grow up uh, in an environment that was, uh, I would say, spiritual. We were we were religious people, but not overly religious, the Methodist church. uh, eventually gravitated to, uh, to to the Unity Church, which my parents uh, helped start uh, a Unity chapter here in Austin. But um, I was pretty much a regular kid. I was uh, doing um, what most kids do and going through life with the average kind of a life. I did well in high school, excelled in sports. I was on my way to the U.S. Naval Academy of all places and a um, uh, scholar athlete and um I had a my initial, I guess, opening to spirituality happened at the age of 17, and I had a, for lack of better words, a, a very deep mystical experience that altered my life. But um, did a lot of study uh, because of that for most of my 20s and 30s, 
and for could we could we hear more about that because it's 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 important um, to me to understand what opens people up to knowing there's something more than this life well um i was a straight laced kid from lubbock texas really uh did not have what i would call any kind of extraordinary uh uh reality related to spirituality uh, uh just your basic West Texas kid, panhandle kid, and we'd moved to Austin and uh, had finished up a successful year in high school and was uh, excelling at every single level you could possibly imagine. And um, uh, in February of 1971, um, I, I was not under the influence of any kind of drug or alcohol or anything as a matter of fact I, I wasn't even experimenting with anything like that i just went to bed one night and during that uh that night i had a what's i guess could be referred to as a lucid dream and in that dream um i was uh, walking down a path uh, through a, a garden and there was nothing but abject peace everything was in a unified state there was no fear uh, it, it seemed as real as any other waking moment you, we've all ever had. It was I could I could feel the wind on my face. I could smell the, the, the plants and I could hear birds. I, I was in an in an actual real environment that was as mm-hmm. real as like I said any other waking reality. And when I came to this place in the path, it forked in two directions, and something said to me, "You're going to have to make a choice." And it was an intuitive hearing that I needed to take a choice, to make a choice, either take the left path or the right path. And I decided to take the left path. So that path took me down into a kind of a grotto, rocks and beautiful oak trees, and everything was completely circular. The the pond I approached was circular. The, The overhanging trees were circular in terms of, the opening of the of the limbs and boughs above this perfectly round pond, still round pond, and it was just absolutely completely beautiful. There was no fear. There was just nothing but but love and peace and and um, like a unified state. Everything was nothing was separate. So. I was in this space with this, and I came to the edge of this pond, and I looked at the pond, which was mirror-like, and I got down on my hands and knees, and I took my my right hand with two fingers together, my forefinger and my ring finger, and I just reached through the reflection of my face, which was just mirror-like, classic tale of Narcissus here. And as I broke the plane of the water with my fingers, I touched the reflection of my face. And as I broke through that plane and that reflection, of course, the mirror-like image of my face disappeared into a ripple. And at that moment, the sound ohm went off in every mm-hmm. cell of my body. And I fell back onto the grass and watched this white-winged horse erupt up out of the pond and disappear into the stars. His own was reverberating through every cell of my body. And I woke up from the dream. And I was in my bed in Austin, Texas, and everything was different. Hmm. I could, I perceived, uh, uh, it felt like 
for lack of a better word, I became an empath at that point. I could feel things that I'd never been able to feel before. I saw the world in a different way. I, hmm. My values and beliefs were changing. It wasn't like a complete overnight thing, but it began a process of integrating that experience. It lasted. It's still being integrated, uh, and I'm you know I'm 66 to today, and it was just something that started me on a path of inquiry and self-exploration and started reading every book I could get my hand on. I, I befriended Ram Dass and sought him out and went to his birthday party in wow. San Francisco. And he invited me in and I met all of his friends and I told him what happened and I asked him if I needed to go to India. You know, I read Be Here Now. I just started devouring everything I could find that would help give me some kind of context for that experience. So as a result of that, I've done a lot of work. I've done a lot of work on myself spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, not out of the sense of being necessarily wounded, but just out of the sense of exploration. I, I really deeply wanted to know what that experience actually meant because I had touched something and something in me had happened that changed my reality. So as a result of that work, I... Uh, went on and became a householder. I had children. I, I opened and ran and was the CEO founder of a successful business for 40 years. It was an engineering construction firm that I eventually sold. And when I sold that business uh, in my late 50s, I moved to Hawaii. <clears throat> and I moved to Hawaii to start to write more and to to do more photography and to have more time to explore consciousness and just to be in a place where I wasn't working all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's when I took up a um, six-man paddling, uh, which is a six-man uh, canoe that's very popular in Hawaii, mm-hmm. and did that for years. So uh, one day, after a couple of years of paddling, I was out paddling offshore with five other guys, and about two miles offshore. And I felt a pain in my chest, and my arms got weak, and I kept paddling, and I I did, had no idea what was really happening to me, but um, we got to the end of our paddle, and I just didn't feel very good, and I decided, you know, I needed to go home, and I did, and I, I was resting, and I took some uh, aspirin, and uh, I have a little high blood pressure medication, I took that, and I was laying there feeling kind of tired and and didn't feel well, and suddenly this massive pain hit me in my chest. And uh, I lost mm-hmm. consciousness. And when I lost consciousness, um, I saw myself drift up out of my body. And um, as I'm looking back behind me, I'm drifting farther and farther away from my body and out through the top of the of my house. And I drifted up out into somewhere in space where I could see the earth slowly spinning in front mm-hmm. of me. And at this point, and now I'm describing something that I have to use you know, in a personal language to try to describe something that's really indescribable because I did survive this experience and I did come back into my body and I can recount it. But in actuality, what what I was actually experiencing was there was no me out there. There was no Scott. There was no personality. There was no story. There was just this awareness that was... Uh, permeating everything. It was very much like the experience I had at, at 18 when I had experienced home. It was kind of a bookend to that experience. But I was experiencing it again 
and I was hearing this, for lack of a better word, celestial music. It didn't sound mm-hmm. like Ohm. It sounded like something else. But what I was actually experiencing was a state of non-separateness, uh, being completely at peace. Uh, there was no fear. There was no me. There was just this realization that everything everywhere that's happening all at once is the same thing. And I could see the earth very slowly turning out there. And I heard the celestial music and it was the most beautiful, amazing experience you could possibly imagine. There was, there was no white light. There was no deity. There was no, uh, there was nothing religious about this experience other than the fact that I was in a state of full awareness that (laughs) whatever we are, is not separate from anything else. So that went on for a little while. Then I started to drift back down and uh, suddenly reappeared in my body. Of course, then I remembered it. And now I'm telling you the story of it. But in actuality, there was no me to tell this story about at that point when I was out there. It didn't really reconstitute until I regained consciousness. So uh, I realized at that point, probably something was happening to me medically and I called the hospital and they eventually life-flighted me to Honolulu. I was on the big island of Hawaii and I was rushed into uh, the ER and they put me on these machines and they drew blood and there's, uh, you know, there's proteins and other things you can find in your blood and you've had a heart attack and they realized I'd had, or they told me I'd had a massive heart attack. So they put me into surgery and, um, Um, they did some other tests and eventually what what had happened was I'd had a uh, a childhood illness that had affected my heart when I was much younger and it had weakened some of the uh, tissue in in my cardiovascular system. And when I was under extreme duress paddling, that had finally given out and I had what's called a uh, widowmaker heart attack. So widowmaker heart attacks uh, typically kill 98% of the people who have them. But it didn't Mm. take me out because when I was a child, um, my heart had repaired itself through cardiovascular regeneration, which can happen when you're a child and you have heart disease. Your heart can give you a natural bypass. Mm -hmm. So that natural bypass is unknown to me. Uh, The the childhood disease I had was called nephritis, and apparently the septus, a blood infection, had gotten into my heart and weakened it. But my heart repaired itself over a number of years, which the doctors all discovered after I had this heart attack. And they said basically that cardiovascular regenerations would save your life when you had this massive heart attack out on the canoe. And then, so basically they said there must be some reason why you're here because you really yeah. shouldn't be. So um, that led to uh, you know a recovery, a complete recovery uh, and these poems that I have been writing, I've been writing poetry off and on most of my life, but suddenly uh, I started, for lack of a better word, started channeling this poetry that just comes through me now. I don't edit it. It it just comes through me. And it, I say it's mine, but it really isn't mine. It's something completely different. So here I am recovering from the heart attack, and these poems are pouring through me, and, and I'm with Holly, and... and um, uh, I'm, I'm can't, I can't figure out why I'm still here. I mean, why did I survive this? I started mm-hmm. talking about this this song that I was hearing that was being sung to the earth by the universe. 
And she said, well, have you ever thought that maybe your poetry is your song to the universe? Maybe that's why you survived this. And maybe you should write your poetry and write a book. So I started writing poetry. I put up a writer's site on Facebook. And within a matter of weeks, thousands and thousands of people started responding to this poetry. And at one point... Uh, six or seven hundred thousand people were responding to one point and uh, there's a website that uh, you can look at that shows this uh, Facebook response that was happening it's kind of documented by this video that was done about this this book so and how do we find that um, scottlockhartartist.com or you mm-hmm. can go to uh, Facebook and for Scott Lockhart writer artist photographer and now, there's a video. I know we're gonna there's we're gonna listen to some of your poems probably in the second half of the show here mm-hmm. but do you think it was because people were sharing it that it got this this viral reaction what was it about this poetry that just got it out there so quickly? I, I think what it is is that it touches people who have been through uh, personal losses, which we all have been, uh, tragedies, their own personal health crises, uh, thousands of people, uh, and you can go to the Facebook site and you can read these responses, have thanked me for or this poetry for giving them hope and helping them have some kind of context for what's happening or has happened in their own lives. And I really can't take credit for it because I just had a heart attack and all of a sudden it started happening after my near-death experience. Had you ever had poetry come through before? You say you were a writer, you were writing while you were in Hawaii, but was was any of that poetry? No, not like this. I mean, I'm a writer. I've been writing a long time. you know, as a, as a hobby, but, and I've written, and I'm about to finish a couple of novels, but, uh, and the poetry I've written in the past was, I thought was good poetry, but it wasn't, it wasn't like this. Can and you, so, can you just give us a taste? Cause I want to really dive into the poetry in the second half, but before the break, we have about five minutes. Do you have okay. one right off the bat that just fits into perfectly what you've been talking about? Yeah. Um, here's a poem titled, there is a light in the world. There is a light in the world that shows the way, that illumines our hearts. It shines in everything, everywhere. It's a source. It's a mystery. But sometimes I see it at dawn, glistening in the dew, like a million diamonds spread out over a meadow, or in a rose, or in your eyes. And it reminds me that we are all the same. And every time I see this light, it drops me to my knees. And I'm grateful to have this sight, to be this light, to be the same as you. Ooh, I love that. It just so, it's, um, it just radiates truth and speaks right to the heart. And I, I'm hearing this, and I'm saying, and this is a, a construction engineer from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> right. So really, I didn't see this coming, and uh, I didn't really ever plan for this to happen. And if it hadn't have been for Holly um, and a few others, uh, but especially Holly, I would never have written this book. 
so it has touched a lot of people and and I think the last uh, Google Analytics and Facebook Analytics report that I saw somewhere in the neighborhood of between 7 to 10 million people have read at least one of these poems uh, somewhere on the earth in the last 2 years so and that's because that's, people are hungry for this and it, and it's meant to get into the right hands it touches the soul that the words awaken something that people don't know what it is they're looking for it's beautiful that's right it's it's just something that's with us that uh, and unless you've had some kind of a major experience i think we either take it for granted or we just aren't listening but sometimes something will happen and it it opens our hearts and our minds and we develop a, a second kind of a sight or a different kind of hearing and we're all hearing it but some of us maybe are just paying attention to it in a different way because maybe we've had a near-death experience or something else has happened. It can happen through almost anything. We can lose a loved one. We can have our own health crisis, but typically that'll change us if, if we'll let it and we'll, we'll, we can hear this song to the air. Yeah. Now, you, you, your energy is just nice and even. It's peaceful. It's downright mellow. Have you always been a mellow fellow? <laughs> oh, Pretty much. I mean, I, I have my moments sometimes, but uh, overall, um, yeah, I I'm, I'm, came from a small town in rural America, and um, I've worked really hard to deal with my own trauma that we all have to deal with. Uh, I, I genuinely do uh, care about people in this planet, and I do my best to, um, to bring through whatever I can to help this be a better place. So um, if you've had a near-death experience or something is really challenging or taking you right to the edge of your of your own life, uh, you start to get that we're, we're really wasting time if we're getting caught and fighting over what's right and wrong and, and um, battling life and each other. And it's just, you know, our lives are so precious. They're so short. And it's such a gift, really, to be to be here, to be a human being on this beautiful planet, yeah. and to try to remember that, uh, you know, is it's, it's our task as, as people, and uh, the great teachers and seers, uh, you know, Jesus and Buddha and Krishna, and it's in every religious text, it's in every religion, uh, Muhammad. They're all saying the same thing, and that we're just here to love each other. But that's um, that's easier said than done. So I've been trying for a long time to just let go and to actually trust that this is our purpose. And, you know, like Jesus said, his consciousness is what we all love is we're here to love one another. And um, that's really our task, I believe. Perfect. And and just a great way to slide into the break here. When we come back, I'd love to hear more of your poetry have you share that with everybody and hear a little bit more about how this has changed your life so everybody come on back after a three minute break Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying listening to Scott as much as I am. Scott Lockhart is our guest. I met him when he came to my mediumship class in Texas, and his his knowing about why we're here, his his peaceful attitude towards whatever happens just struck me right off the bat. This is a guy that gets it, who understands that we are not just human. So we're going to listen to some more of the poetry that started flowing through him after his near-death experience. But I wanted to share with all of you, and Scott, I didn't have a chance to tell you this, that I did a reading for someone earlier this week, and their loved one came through from the other side, and my heart palpitated, and I said, I feel your loved one passed very suddenly from a heart issue. And just as I said that, an image of you came to my mind and I heard Widowmaker. And I said Mm. to my client, this, your loved one passed from what's known as a Widowmaker heart attack. And her eyes went wide and she said, yes, that's it exactly. So this one big web of all our connections, you know, there you, you came to mind to get that piece of evidence to this woman it's just mm-hmm. phenomenal. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that your widowmaker left you here for a reason, as you said. You, your your partner Holly showed you you need to get these poems out to the world. So why don't you share another one with everybody who's listening? Okay, I will. Um, this poem is titled "Set Your Heart on Fire." Have you ever dared to fully live? Have you ever set your heart on fire? Have you ever told that old, worn, tired place? No, not this time. Will you lay that sad thief down, the one that shows no mercy, the one that abandons you, leaving you cold, trembling, alone? My love, take my hand. Here it is outstretched to you like the soft dawn's light breaking over the golden field. Here it is. Here it is. Hmm. Well, you know, I've never been one much to like poetry. I always thought poetry had to rhyme, but the more that I've awakened to the, the spirit within, hopefully some of you know what I'm talking about here. You you know poetry when you hear it. It's just, It is like music. Well, when I had the uh, near-death experience, um, it's like how do you talk about something that where words completely fail? The, the the you know the event, the the, the yeah. feeling of it. it there, uh, there's no words that we could possibly come up with to describe what was happening. Uh, but but yet the words that, that you're sharing there, they carry yes, the closest thing we can exactly. get to that. It's like we can't exactly. get to that octave of experience no. that, that happens in a spiritually transformative experience. So I believe that the words in poetry like yours are, are, are like harmonics. It's, it mm-hmm. takes us to that same place. I feel like a kid right now, I want to say, and I'm going to say, give me another one. How about another <laughs> <Okay>. one? <laughs> But yeah, that's that is true. I mean, there's no way to really talk about this stuff. But poetry and and music comes pretty close. This is a poem titled Icarus. I flew to the sun once, went farther than Icarus, 
metanarcissus too. Hubris accompanied me most of the way. The wax held the feathers very well until I rounded mercury. But from there, it was a long fall, a long fall into grace. Funny how that works. All seriousness and angst aside, maybe Nietzsche was right. Stronger, yes, and it didn't kill me. Okay, so we talked on the break. You said, I'm going to share some poetry, and then I'm going to interpret it. That's deep Mm -hmm. stuff. So this is one, please interpret for all of us. Okay. Well, you know, Icarus was a mythical Greek uh, uh, hero, uh, the son of the gods, and he wanted to uh, prove, I guess, through ego that he could fly to the heavens. So he... In the myth, he he, he uh, made wings from feathers, and he held the feathers together with wax. And the lesson of, of Icarus is that we should never uh, challenge whatever we want to call God with our own ego, that we should accept life on its own terms and not become willful. So Icarus became very willful and challenged uh, in Greek mythology and challenged the gods. So as he grew more and more bold and strove to reach the sun by his own willpower through his own wing making, he got closer and closer to the sun and the heat of the sun melted the wax and he plummeted to the earth and died. So this poem uh, in the, the Greek myth of Icarus is about humility and uh, how we should never really challenge through ego um, by being competitive or willful uh, life, that we should trust life and whatever you want to call God, take you wherever you need to go without being uh, willful or egoic. So the long fall into grace is what we're all really doing, if you think about that. Uh, grace, whatever that is, whatever that means to you, let's just say... Um, uh, God itself, whatever God means to you, is where we're actually falling to, into or what we're falling into over the span of a lifetime. Because as we grow older, we probably all can relate to this. As we grow older, we make a lot of mistakes through being willful. And it's through those willful, egoic uh, mistakes or, let's say, lessons, which is probably a better way to refer to it, we become more humble and willing to to listen and to surrender and to let go and trust. So really, as human beings, uh, I believe we're all here to become more vulnerable to not only just what is, but to God itself. And whatever God means to you, like I say, I'm not a religious person, but there is something that we all believe in, I think most of us believe in, that is far greater in our own minds, and our own egos. So instead of just relying upon ego and mind as we become more humble, we learn how to let go and be vulnerable to a higher self or let's say a greater self or let's just say God. And then we can do that. Our lives seem to work uh, a lot better because we don't really have to do that. Uh, if there's any doing, it's in the act of surrender. So that's what this poem is about. 
What does that look like in a real life setting, that vulnerability that you're talking about? Well, what it looks like for me, and I can't speak you know, in any other terms, is that having the courage to, to trust, and, uh, and particularly uh, for me, I mean, uh, West Texan, Northwest Texan, I was taught how to be self-reliant, how to um, not really let my feelings get in the way. If I, you know, if you get thrown off the horse, get back up on it, you know, dust yourself off, you know, get over it, you know, move on, be strong, be a warrior. Um, and I was a very accomplished uh, warrior, and not only in in sports and football, and but in business and highly competitive. And but always in the back of my mind, I could feel something that was calling me home to something more peaceful and kind and empathetic. And um, you know, being more reasonable, just being willing to listen and care about other people. So. Whatever you want to call that, for men, let's say, call it the patriarchy. It's being competitive and and ruthless in many ways is what we're taught. And that can get you just so far, but it has really nothing to do with vulnerability. And if we can't be vulnerable, we're never going to really know what intimacy is. And we all want just basically one thing. I think all of us want just one thing simple thing and that's to be loved and to be able to love so at at the end of the day when we're we're on our way out and I was had already passed over uh, I didn't care about anything I had accomplished and when I came back I realized I was here to love and it's just that simple Hmm. you're here to love Mm -hmm. you knew that did did you notice a change? Now, you said at the beginning of the whole hour that after your spiritually transformative experience at age 17, that lucid lucid dream, that changed mm-hmm. everything for you. But was there even an even greater change after your near-death experience? Yeah, because the near-death experience happened uh, 50 years later, after 50 years of integration of the of the experience at 17. So if you can imagine this kid from the panhandle who I, I did not have deep thoughts. I mean, I was just a kid mm-hmm. from the panhandle. And, uh, you know, everything was laid out for me. I had the brightest future you could possibly imagine laid out for me. And then it all changed because I saw something going on maybe in me and maybe just outside of me too that was far greater than than what uh, I believe life was. So I'd been indoctrinated to have certain kinds of beliefs and my beliefs were completely expanded beyond anything I had ever been taught. So what happened for me after 50 years of integrating that, the near-death experience was like I said, it was the bookend of that. Yeah. And that, you know, it's not what we're what people teach us that necessarily impacts us is what we experience and it's our experiences that change us really because to us an experience as an individual is something far more authentic than let's say a book right You're right so the books that i've read prepared me for that near-death experience that the countless lectures and teachers that i sought out and all the things that i've done laid the groundwork for the 
from the near-death experience, which then opened me to this to this poetry, which apparently is touching a lot of people. And, and certainly I'm not going to take credit for it because it's really not mine. It's just coming through. I'm, I'm kind of speechless right now because I'm just... I'm, your energy is just so strong. You have a well, quote at the top of your website. You say, when we can finally say yes to what is and let go, then and only then is when love takes over. Mm-hmm. And and I feel that that's a, what just imbues everything mm-hmm. you write and, and even when you speak. Yeah. There's a story to that. Um, <clears throat> um I spent a lot of time in Hawaii, and I, I was laying in a hammock one day uh, in a very deserted place. Uh, it's actually a, a, an abandoned resort, and yeah. I was the only person there. And there was this massive uh, forest of uh, bamboo, this large bamboo. It was windy that day, and the bamboo was clanking against itself and kind of eerily but beautifully reminding me of the power of of the wind and the trade winds in Hawaii and Hawaii itself. And I was just laying on this hammock and I was praying and I was saying, you know, what, what, what am I doing here? What's this all about? And something inside of me said, just let love take over. Just let it take over. So I, I spent a few more weeks in Hawaii and I went back to Austin. It was in January. And uh, I was driving in my pickup to an appointment. Uh, work thing and it was very very cold and um, I pulled up to a, a stoplight and there was this homeless woman who was just clothed in rags and and, and doing her best to stay warm and she was holding up a, a collage that she had made and I came up to the red light and I looked over at her and in this collage was let love take over let love take over Yes, in the yeah. collage. And I went, oh my God, you know, here it is. That was the synchronicity that I needed to validate that really it, it is simply something we need to say yes to in our lives. So that giving that consent maybe is what you're hearing is that there's a cert- there's a certitude after so many years of working with this that that we are just simply here to love each other and to let that love take over. So the part that started helping for me after the near-death experience was that those are beautiful words, but, you know, what is love? You know, what is that? It means so many different things to so many different people. So I started asking uh, God, I guess, to show me what love is. I mean, show mm-hmm. me what love is. And that's a mantra now for me is that, Show me what love is. So what started happening after the near-death experience is I started seeing everything in me that I didn't love, that wasn't love, and I started working at very deep levels to forgive myself and heal myself. Wow, fantastic. To seek out as as much vulnerability as I could possibly hold. And, you know, there's a lot of fear, I think, in, in men, but probably women too, but for men to be vulnerable and not overcome these, to not believe these voices in our head that being vulnerable makes us weak or somehow not desirable or not powerful um, is what I've been working on for the last three years. And actually embracing that 
that that fear and those beliefs that vulnerability is a bad thing or a sign of weakness. So really, show me what love is for me was to to become deeply vulnerable as a human being and as a man, but also to see, you know, that we're all afraid to be vulnerable. We're all afraid to love and. I think that's what Jesus was talking about, you know, that we come here to love, but it's the hardest thing in the world for us to do, and it's the most simple thing to do. And yet, for us to truly love, we have to take on so much in ourselves that we don't love. And that's our work. So if we can't really fully love ourselves, right, if we can't be vulnerable to ourselves, how can we possibly love anyone else? So really, that's that's been the work from the that's really come from the near-death experience for me. And I, that's what I try to help people with if I can. It's just trust your own heart. I mean, we're all here to love. We all want to love. We all want to be loved. And we're all so afraid of it. And it's that fear that keeps us from love, from loving ourselves and other people. So if you want a mantra and you want to change your life, uh, try this for a year and just say every day, Show me what love is. Just try it. And every person I've given this mantra to, every single person has changed their life. And in a year from today, if you'll just look at your life, if you'll just use that mantra for a year, I promise you it will change your entire life. So that's probably why I survived this heart attack, is that it gave me a sense of fearlessness because I know where we're all going. At least for me, I know there's nothing to be afraid of. And it, our ultimate fear is death, and we're just wasting a lot of our time in these bodies with these, this gift of being human, being afraid of something that's all it's going to happen to all of us anyway. I mean, we're all going to say goodbye to each other. We all do. So what are we wasting this precious gift of our lives, being so afraid of something that's going to happen anyway? <laughs> Well, I want to assure everybody, we may say goodbye. It is temporary because we do meet up again. You talked about calling me home. Your experience of home, you didn't experience that state where you're meeting with loved ones, but how would you define home? Um, From a purely using words to describe something that's not only timeless, but without a sense of self, it's just pure peace, pure love, pure consciousness, no real, no, no actual personality or sense of self. If you can think of what imbues everything in the physical and non-physical world, let's just call it an energy, whatever that, whatever is imbuing that or animating that, the, the, the life force and what makes a molecule spin around, the, you know, gravity, mm-hmm. uh, uh all the laws and forces that are active in the universe, the laws of attraction. I mean, everything that's happening, it's all governed by this one same thing. And it's, for lack of a better word, it's just love. (laughs) So, you know, there's all kinds of ways to access this. I mean, all there is, and I don't have a corner on reality here. This is my story. Mm -hmm. But when I had my near-death experience, I experienced a sense of unification and oneness with everything that was happening everywhere all at once. 
So, so this, is, this, this program today is just like a little break from this current reality, just to kind of float. Do you feel the floating energy as we're just floating in that loving energy? Would you share another mm-hmm. poem with us, Scott? This is Scott sure. Lockhart, and you can read more about him and find access to his book at scottlockhartartist.com. So another poem, please. All right. Forged in Fire. When I see your radiant heart, I see my heart too. It is like we were both forged in fire, hammered and shaped into something new. We stand together now stronger, reflecting the truth, our brilliant, hard-fought truth. All I know is that I love you, and all I have to give you is you. All I have to give you is you. What does that mean to you? Well, that we're not separate. There's the illusion of separateness. Of course, you know, we're human. There's a human self. I mean, there's a human Suzanne. There's a human Scott. You know, there's that story of the personal self. That's a real thing. So we are human. And we have bodies and stories and histories and pasts and hopes and desires and that makes us human, right? But we're also divine. It's not human or divine. It's human mm-hmm. and divine. So all we have to really give each other is ourselves. We surrender to love. We're giving ourselves to each other as human beings, but also divine beings. So it's human and divine. It's an act of complete and absolute love. And yet honoring our human selves, you know, our psychological and emotional selves, you can't bypass your human self, your humanity. You can't spiritual bypass anything. It doesn't work. But as we integrate and heal as human beings, then we realize, I think, at least for me, that all we really have to give each other is what we have discovered in ourselves, which is hopefully self-love, unconditional love of ourselves. So when we can come to that place, and that's all we really have to give is, you know, you're, you, meaning me, to you. In other words, we see each other, we're standing as two separate beings, but we're one thing. Mm-hmm. So this lack of separation, which is what I experienced, not I, but what was it was experienced during the near death experience. It's what I'm saying in that point. It's all I have to give you. It's, it's, it's this reflection of you that you see in me is really just you. Mm-hmm. Does that yeah. make sense? So I, it does. I love how eyes, you caught yourself talking about the near death experience. You said it wasn't I having that experience. It wasn't me because that's what disappears when we experience the oneness. So you have to change the vocabulary. That's what I've been working with lately. The more we, we change our vocabulary, it changes our experience of reality. Yeah, I mean, here's, here's a point that addresses that. Um, it's called as light. There was something in your eyes that was constantly saying, I love you. At first, I thought this love was mine until I saw this love as light shining in everything, always, everywhere, as myself. Hmm. So I'll read that again. 
there was something in your eyes that was constantly saying, I love you. At first, I thought this love was mine, until I saw this love as light shining in everything, always, everywhere, as myself. So we do, of course, have human lives where there are people in our lives that are important to us, our families, for instance, our friends. And so there, there is this dance between being human and divine. We're divine beings. Let's say we're just sentient, timeless love embodied in, in form, right? Yep. And so we're, we get so caught in form, right, that we forget that we're so much more. We're so much, we're so big, really, in comparison to the, lives that we typically live if we're living in fear, which makes us small. So when we can get beyond that and realize we need to honor our human lives, our our human concerns and fears and insecurities, and we need to heal, of course we need to heal that if we're going to get bigger than that. But if we can heal that by becoming vulnerable to it and having the courage to look at ourselves, then we can start to see this light and this divinity not only in all people, but in everything happening everywhere all at once. So I just got that validation from whatever you want to call life when I had the near-death experience. It just was validated to me that this is actually what's really happening. Yeah. So So the the, the beautiful thing is we're just about out of time here, Scott, is that thankfully we don't have to die we don't have to have that that near-death experience you and it's an actually a death experience and then you come back it's a misnomer but to experience that here and so i just want to thank you for being with us and i I, the greatest takeaway i hope everybody takes away is to to practice that mantra that scott gave us today show me what love is over and over and over and see how that changes your life scott thanks so much for sharing with us today it was awesome thank you suzanne appreciate it Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.